Veterans Broadcast Network, this is Roll Call. What role did you play in your call to duty? You're listening to Veterans Roll Call. I'm Kennedy Camp. And I'm Nadine Noki. I'm glad that Thanksgiving weekend is just about over. I'm sure everybody feels good over that. Uh, we just had some of my turkey soup uh, from that carcass. That was a, a wonderful uh, event for me at some friend's house. So I'm sure everybody had a good Thanksgiving. And if not, we're hoping that next year will be better for you. And there's a lot, lot going on in this world right now. So let's try to make it better for everybody we can. That's why I'm happy that my guest tonight, Linda Jo Heffner, is here. And um, I'm going to ask her later if she was any relationship to my friend Hugh. <laughs> and I'm sure she's been asked that many, many times. But Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, today's going to be um, uh, quite a show because we're going to talk about um, a follow-up from our PTSD uh, from last week with Sandra Laflamme, who happens to be in the studio with us tonight. I thank her so much for helping us out and putting the Facebook game together for us. We... Um, we're going to be following up on the PTSD and one of the major causes of uh, what it has to do with a military's life, especially from the Vietnam world. And that had to do with that horrible uh, chemical that um, was used uh, called Agent Orange. Of course, I'm sure you knew what I was about to talk. It's a, a touching subject for me which I'll get into in a little while. And it's a very touching subject also for my guest, Linda. Linda Joe, would you rather be called Linda Joe or Linda? Or Either way. Either way. And uh, anyway, um, how many people really know what Agent Orange is? And let me also ask, uh, how many millions of gallons did we spray of not only Agent Orange, but eight other chemicals as well? A lot of people don't know that. Total was 21 million gallons. 13 of that was Agent Orange. And Agent Orange, the military, they said they were using it as a herbicide, of course, to try to destroy the vegetation that the enemy was supposedly hiding in, in their own country. We uh, should also know that uh, Agent Orange and these chemicals were first used in Korea. I don't know if anybody uh, yeah. knew that. Yeah, World War II. Oh, I didn't know World War II. World War II in Malaysia. Yeah, they knew they had the formula and they had statistics for it. So it was just a matter of uh, taking the formula and handing it out to the company so that they could make it again. They went in with their eyes wide open when they recreated the toxin. And I don't like to call it Agent Orange because it has so many different uh, names to it. Yes, I'll get into that in a minute. But you're listening a little bit to uh, my guest, who I'm glad she's on with me. She's normally interviewing people 
I haven't had the pleasure yet, but uh, today I'm going to be interviewing her, Lynn Jo Hefner. She's one of those people who operates from both sides of her brain. I can relate to that, uh, the right and the left. Uh, her profession on the left side is science, mathematics, and a computer, computer science teacher. Yes. So you know how to play those keyboards that I don't. And uh, then her right side of the brain, she gives her talent in painting, clay sculpting, crafting, and now she's an author of this great book, uh, Tainted Seas. She's got a four-book deal. I have a three-book deal. Three book? Dudley Court Press. Uh, all books that are told from the woman's point of view, the wife's point of view, which is very unique. We tried to find another successful author, and I didn't really think or plan it that way. It was just the way I structured my memoir. And you see, we are involved with this because she and this book are now a number one bestseller on Amazon. Under yeah, under a certain category, we we're bouncing back and forth, one and two. So on Amazon, it's quite an honor. And back to the Agent Orange, you should understand that uh, they also were sprayed under different names, and they were just different versions of the chemicalization. Yes. That took place. There's Agent Pink, Agent Green, Agent Purple, Agent White, Agent Blue, and most of them were manufactured by Monsanto and Dow Chemicals, who later the Congress passed a ruling that they were not liable. And that's why today the VA and the taxpayer are the ones who are liable for the people who have been afflicted by Agent Orange. Some of the worst part, which we'll get into also, is that the Agent Orange major problem was not only for our military members, like like Linda's husband and, and my brother, but also um, the children yes, of the them. Children. Yes. And I've heard recently that it even can be carried on uh, through the DNA. Uh, for eight to ten generations after. Eight to ten generations. And these symptoms affect the female child more than the male child. And, Im service and imagine how, how unbelievable that is for the Vietnamese people uh, who live there horrible. among that. Yes, it's horrible. If you ever do a YouTube, I, I have difficulty looking at the YouTubes where they teach you the children as a result of it. Uh, Vietnam still carries uh, residual of Agent Orange in their water, in their, uh, their food, and also the stopping point for our military personnel going to Vietnam, Guam, is now listed as one of the most toxic places in the world. Wow, did not know that, one of our territories. And it's amazing, too, that for many people didn't know that with the Agent Orange, um, there were different mixtures, and they were referred to as Agent Orange 1, Agent Orange 2, Agent Orange 3, and probably worst of all, and what a horrible name, Super Orange. Yes, yes. Uh, Agent Orange got its name from the barrel. It was given an orange stripe. And any time it came close to being suspect as being a toxin, that's what I will call it as a toxin, it was sent back. It was modified. And when it was modified, it was given a new name, a new stripe on the barrel, sent back out again under a new name, but it still had the same toxic portion in it. And uh, so our guys, we were sold a lie, and we believed that lie. It's safe. 
So you would see these young men in the jungle spraying it, actually having battles with each other using it. Uh, men spraying it in the back thing would come into it. And these gentlemen didn't have chance to take a shower every day. They would have skin rashes. They would have black feet. They would have all kinds of symptoms that went with this. It was really difficult. And it was all dismissed. And as a Navy wife, we were told that our husbands were safe. We were safe. Safe and you'd be taken care of. Oh, well, I wouldn't even think of that part. Our husbands were safe. They were on a ship. They weren't on the ground. Uh, and little did I know my husband was in Guam. Uh, I discovered that. But, you know, I and my husband, I remember Bud telling me, my husband telling me, you have nothing to worry about, doll. I never set foot in Vietnam. So it was really difficult to find out when I did find out what killed my husband. Yeah, I found that there are something like uh, eight different destroyers that are all classified as Agent Orange. There's also, if I remember, two different missile-carrying frigates that were uh, classified, and they were all stationed off of um, the uh, Vietnam, mostly in the South China Sea. Uh, I know a, a buddy of mine I grew up with, Lenny Bona, who's probably listening to the show. He was on the USS Constellation, and it was there, I believe, for about nine months. And um, for some reason, that one is not listed as one of the ships. And, you know, that's something I'm sure it's being looked into now. And On uh, May uh, 7th, 1984, which is nine years after the, the first troops were withdrawn from Vietnam, um, the manufacturers, uh, Dow and, and uh, Monsanto, and I think there were one or two other minor uh, subcategory chemical factories making the orange and other herbicides, they settled out of court with the United States government. I remember that case, yes. Yeah, and they settled for a whopping $180 million to take care of the yes. hundreds of thousands of people that have been affected by this. And do you have the total as to what each one received? No. $2,350-some dollars. That's what my husband's life was worth. That's what my bud's life was worth, $2,350 to knowingly kill my husband. And So I can understand fighting a war if there is a war, but um, luckily I was in the medical field in, of the Army, and um, I didn't understand uh, why we were fighting. I, I enlisted thinking that it was the right road to travel at that time and gradually started realizing that it, it seemed to be just a, a money-making project uh, for a handful of people and trying to also unite the rest of us um, by having love for our country. Uh, and it's, I'd li rather love the country in a lot of other different yeah, ways, yeah. especially the progressive ways of all living together and taking care of one another and, and great education, um, et cetera, the hospitalization, the whole thing. But gradually, we hopefully that that will start taking place as we realize that we are the animal with a higher consciousness. Yes. And with that consciousness, we should take it a, a step further and, um, work among ourselves. I think I said it on one of my other shows before. I, my favorite saying is one planet, one people. Absolutely. And we should start relating to that uh, down the road. I'm, sh I'm sure we will. 
um, as I was stating, uh, the children, my my brother had his problems. Um, he was uh, in Vietnam with a um, helicopter and um, light aircraft uh, repairman, a lot of which sprayed and carried, et cetera. And no hazmat, no gloves, no mask. Just nope. Just go to work. Probably and no shirt either. Yeah, a lot of times no shirt. I've got pictures of that. Tropical jungle. Yeah. And um, he eventually got out and uh, re-enlisted in the service only if he could become a military policeman, which he did. And then uh, from there, he got into the CID area of it. He was a, a bright, handsome, strapping uh, young man. Uh, he's my little brother, about five inches taller and 40 pounds heavier, but he was my little brother. And he eventually got sent to Germany and um, met a beautiful lady who, thank God, she turned out to be a nurse, and uh, which is eventually what ended up somebody that he needed. Um, they had two children. One was nine and the other was two when he passed away. And um, the two-year-old boy today still has multiple mental complications oh, yes. due to what the orange is. Um, so do my children. My children were five, seven, and nine when my husband passed away, and uh, Bud left behind his children. And uh, without invading their privacy, I will tell you that all my children have Asian eye symptoms, and I worry about my grandchildren and they're on. Yeah, so you can tell that tonight we are on a heavier-than-usual subject, um, something that I felt there was time to do, especially because uh, I, when I first started the show, I said someday I want to do a show on the orange uh, and let people know just how horrible it was. And, and still to this day, nobody can really explain the true purpose of it. Uh, uh, I always looked at the true purpose of it was so some chemical companies could make money from the government that the taxpayers were paying for uh, and and just to prolong that war. Um, Anyway, it's uh, really bizarre. Yeah, they say here now, I, I read uh, that the average was about $3,800 per claim. Right, so, right. My so, estimate was lower, but yes. Yeah, some people got in the 2000s, some people got in the 4000s. And um, and even then, Kenny, it was postponed over the years, and they were sent out in small doses to people. They didn't get the lump sum. It was sent out piecemeal over yep. time. Yep. And they didn't have to take any responsibility claim that they were wrong. Correct. Out-of-court settlement. Yeah. And uh, they showed that uh, back in 80, uh, from 88 to 94, there were 105,000 claims that were put in for this money that was uh, out-of-court settled. And only 52,000 of them actually received compensation. Yeah. yeah. It's so, really... Again... Well, anyway, let's take a break. I got to take a big breath. So... Mark, take it away to our commercial. Roll Call will be right back after these messages. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. 
Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Broadcast Network for over 19 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution has been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. You're listening to Roll Call. Here's your host, Kenny DeCamp. Up the hill, down the hill, over there. Yeah, this is good. Uh, thanks, Mark, again over there. And Midge, our engineer, is making sure that we get out and uh, people are listening with us. And I want to thank uh, Linda for being here with us tonight and, and my sponsors, the Dallas Corporation and GTS Transportation, the fabulous trucking company nationwide. And now, Linda, it's it's going to be you for a little bit. I know you're used to being the one asking the questions. Yes, but now I am. I'm very used to it. My book, Tainted Seas, uh, my website is lindajohefner.com, was a book that I had to write. I always felt that it was a story that had to be told. Bud's story had to be told because what happened to my husband was shameful. My husband should be alive with me in Florida right now, enjoying retirement, but he's not because he was killed in Vietnam and sent home to die. So I wrote Tainted Seas, and it starts out in the beginning very funny. My husband was a NSEP, Naval Engineering Special or Scientific Education Program sailor. He was enlisted for five years, and when they came out with this opportunity for Bud to become an officer, he jumped on it. My husband moved into the dorm next to mine. I was a sophomore at Penn State, and he was going to pick up women. <laughs> Lots of women. First weekend there. I turn around, he taps me on the shoulder, I turn around, and he's, oh, my God, he was so handsome. And he says, I, I'm Bud. I'd like to introduce myself to the most beautiful woman in the dining hall. Well, first I couldn't say anything. I just looked at him because he was so handsome, blue eyes, steel blue eyes. And then finally I realized he was trying to pick me up. So I turned and I said, does that shit work for you? And he says, what should? I said, does that pickup line work for you? Well, then he didn't know what to say. He collected my name and left. And from there, our courtship got quite funny, quite funny. And he finally did get a date with me. He was date number three in a football weekend. And I almost canceled. And everything went wrong on that date. In fact, I made him laugh so hard at the ice cream shop. They were going to call for an ambulance in the EMTs. And then I thought, well, this man's going to take me home, throw me through the dorm door and run for his life. But then he kissed me. And I could hardly stand on my feet. But I wasn't done yet running from Bud. The next day I decided I wasn't going to see him again. 
No way. He's older. He probably knows how to sweep a woman off her feet. So I tried to avoid him. I went to breakfast early in the morning, tried to avoid him. All of a sudden I hear, hey, doll. He caught me in my old sweatsuits. So I thought, oh, gosh. So I had breakfast. I'm not going to see him again. Never going to see this man again. I decided at breakfast. Come dinner time, I go with my girlfriends from dormates, and I'm sitting with them all as a shield. He left. I'm safe now. Now I can leave. Well, I went to the bathroom, and I get outside. Now my girls are back at the dorm, and who's there? My sailor is waiting for me. And he and that's my question. He he had already been an enlisted for oh yeah for five years. And now he went in his age eighteen. No, no, no. He went there. He was uh, the Naval Engineering Scientific Education Program started with 2,000 applicants nationwide. And it was a chance. They were short on engineers, scientists, and mathematicians. So my husband put in his application. He wasn't my husband, Jeff, but he put in his application the next day. But he had been in for five years already. Oh, yeah. Yep. And now he's in the application. So he went through. And from that 2,000, they whittled it down to 450. Then when they went to uh, their uh, prep, prep schools to go there, they had a 17% cut. Now they had to apply for a local college. So some of them got cut again. Not many on that one. And once they started, these mostly men, had to finish in three and a half years, not four years. They could not fail a class. They could not miss any term. If you happened to get ill or needed physical therapy, you went back to see as an enlisted man. Now, if you had trouble keeping up with the math, when my husband graduated at Hessel Union Building, the hub at Penn State, there were lots and lots of ROTC gentlemen and only four NESEP men. And my husband was one of them. Because only 50% made it through. Wow. And then he came out as a lieutenant? No, sir. He came out as an ensign. 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 And then he made Lieutenant JG. Uh, And then he, as we were going to uh, our transfer to California, he was made lieutenant. And you had married by now. Oh, yes. Yeah, he, he nailed me. Six months <laughs> afterwards, he nailed me. I, it took him a little bit, but he was a charmer. My husband was, oh, gosh, I miss him. I do. Every time I think about something where I'm going to be, like today, I said, only I could talk to Bud about this. He'd know how to, <laughs> to get me through uh, because it doesn't appear to anybody, but I suffer from panic attacks at the time, and my husband just knew how to Calm me down. He was so calm. I'd be really hyper. And just take it easy, doll. Just take it easy. And he just, and I've never, oh, we could banter and have fun. Never hurtful banter, just fun loving banter. So. So as he gets out, you get married, they then ship him away? Well, after he was commissioned and he graduated from Penn State, he sold in his swanky little blue Mustang, the one that I got pregnant in, and (laughs) we headed to Charleston Naval Station, and I wasn't there, I think maybe three, four, five weeks, and then he went out to sea on the USS McDonough, and of course, I was pregnant again, 
I could get pregnant picking up my husband's underwear. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so, you know, I was worried he wouldn't be home in time for the baby. And he, he was, he was home just because the engine was having problems. So we went through the whole thing. We had birthdays, we had Christmases without him there. We had Christmas in October the one time. Why not? Why not? As long as the family was together, that's what counted. And then, uh, we finally made it, and we bought this beautiful home on Tiffany Lane, and it was brand new. It was built, and it was Bud's dream and my dream, and he wanted it so much for me. This is while you're still in the service. Yes, yes. He was on shore duty. He was with Naval Investigator Service, which most of you folks know that now is NCIS. Okay. He did criminal, and Bud trained and established a drug test team, and he was so good at it that one night when he was out doing his drug raid and I was fast asleep, I got a telephone call from a drug lord in New York. They were going to take our son if Bud didn't stop doing that because he was hurting them financially. Oh, that's a story. And so, you know, I called and they, you know, my husband knew about it. They were investigating it, but he didn't tell me about it. And so they dubbed him as being the voice. And the man did call again, and he had the most cackling, awful laugh. It would just boil your blood when he laughed. And then because of that, they could not find this man. But they knew I knew he was outside, because when he would talk, he would cite what was happening. He would tell me what was happening with my family, where it was happening. And we had 24-7 Marine Guard, and I love the Marines, thank you, uh, including uh, Sergeant Curtis. Sergeant Curtis took me to the gynecologist, a little squatty, broad marine single, took me to the gynecologist, and I'm sitting there, and uh, time to be called into the uh, examination room. Sergeant Curtis stands up, he's going with me. I said, that's okay, Sergeant, I think I can handle this, so I'll be safe. But we couldn't go anywhere. I mean, I had a job at the shipyard, and luckily I was working out of my home at that time. I was writing the... uh, I was the first female instructor at the Charleston Naval Shipyard Apprentice School, and I was writing the program, and I could work at home. And we could not go out. We could not go out unless the Marine went with us. We were prisoners in our home. So finally, my husband came home and said, the only way we'll be safe, doll, is if we leave. And we were escorted to the South Carolina border and went to San Diego. Uh, boxes were not unpacked in San Diego. I didn't know anybody. I didn't even have a phone call. I phoned a book to do it, and uh, I got a call that my husband collapsed at work. So I got, you know, again, I'm pregnant. I'm always pregnant in these stories, but it was our last one. This one was really planned. We wanted to have a little girl. And my husband called it his little doll. He called me doll, and this was going to be his little doll. So I got there, and my husband was diagnosed with a glioblastoma. Uh, Glioblastoma still today is one of the most deadliest uh, brain tumors there is. There are. And at the time when Bud was diagnosed, his tumor was the size of a golf ball in the frontal lobe. Wow. Glioblastoma 
is a major mass, but then it has thousands upon thousands upon thousands of tentacles. And this is what makes it so deadly. You can, unless you get each and every little cell, and it's nearly impossible, you don't get rid of it. So he did the nine weeks of radiation like a trooper, but he didn't get it. And where did they believe the tumor came from? Well, Bud had no history of cancer in his family and uh, didn't really know. I didn't really know. But one doctor said to me that he had less than a one-half percent chance of getting this cancer. My husband was in top physical shape. He ran three miles every morning. He played racquetball at lunch. But I did long-distance biking with the children at night. We were in top physical shape. So a half of 1% chance of getting this cancer was like picking up a grain of sand in the beach. He should not have had it. And this is what sent me into my quest to find out why that habit. Well, this is a very true story, and we're going to be coming right back in a little while uh, to follow up and find out a little bit about what happened with Bud out at sea and uh, where some of um, the situations of his life went off to um, before he was diagnosed with this. So we'll be right back after this message. Roll call. We'll be right back after these messages. Attention. Looking for semi-drivers nationwide. GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois, is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you are going to drive, why not drive for the best? Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. You're listening to Roll Call. Here's your host, Kenny DeCamp. Yeah, I remember doing that. I'm glad I don't have to anymore. We're going to continue with Linda. First, uh, get that pencil and paper. Most of you do know that the Veterans Crisis Line is 800. 800- Two seven three eight two five five, and then you can press one and get to somebody right away. And a lot of us uh, 
are aware of that because of a lot of our friends who have had to deal with it. And let's talk a little bit about uh, the sailor himself. Um, my, when he was out to sea, what do you know about his out to sea life? The uh, first part where Bud was enlisted, uh, I don't know much about it. I do know that he did back-to-back uh, tours. Where? Uh, in Vietnam, off the coast of Vietnam. And uh, he uh, usually, it's usually customary between a sea tour that you get short duty, but my husband as an enlisted man uh, went back-to-back and got home turned around, got on another ship, went back to back, and he worked in weapons department. I don't know much about the details because I would say, but what happened to you when you're out there? He says, oh, a doll, that's in the past. And then he knew exactly how to divert me away from it. But you could always see for a minute his eyes would go away Mm -hmm. to a sad memory and then he'd snap back. He didn't want to talk about it. He did not want to talk about it at all. If you talk to Bud privately and ask him what he thought about our involvement in the Vietnam War, he would say we had no business being there. My husband was very much a historian. He could cite dates, years, events all the way through. Um, and the one time I said to him, what do you think about this? He says, well, France was over there. France gave up and went home. What did we think we were going to do? We had no business being there. This is not our, our fight. This is a civil war. And there's no reason we should be there. But again, he always assured me. You know, people were getting sick even when I when we were married. And he always said, you had nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. And was his back to back because he wanted to go? Yes, back? yes, yeah. He wa- he was gung ho. My husband came from a a large family, uh, working class blue collar family, very loving loving family. But at the same time, there wasn't any money for his education, so he wanted to get a trade. So he went in the navy at age eighteen, right out of high school, so that he could get a trade, so he could work. And he went in before the Vietnam War really revved up really uh, mighty. And uh, so, yeah, he went in. He volunteered. He wasn't drafted. There was no draft when Bud went in. He went in voluntarily. He wanted to do this for his country and his dream. His whole dream was to be a sailor. And when it came chance for him to become an officer, oh, that was like heaven to him. And when he became an officer, where did they end up... um sending him to? Did he have to go back to Nam at that time? or was Oh, it, no, no, no. Nam no, no. Uh, McDonough did not go back to Nam. He was, no, that was pretty much over for him. Although I must say, early in our marriage, uh, there were times, that, and hindsight is always perfect, but there were times I should have known something was wrong with Bud. Bud would, he would just be sitting, doing something, and then all of a sudden, He'd blank out. He'd just sort of stare. And with hindsight now, after becoming more educated, he was having pedimol seizures. So he would just stare. And then he'd come in and then he'd cover up. And more than anything else, he did not want that to get out to the Navy because the Navy would throw him out. So finally, it, uh, 
Well, you'll read about it, but we formed a silent pact where I would not say anything and spoil his dreams. And for a while, I felt guilty about that. Suppose I had blown the whistle early. Because first year of marriage, I knew there was something wrong with my husband. But it wouldn't have mattered, Kenny, because no matter what we would have done for Bud, this tumor wouldn't have been cured. Was the tumor ever attributed to Agent Orange? Uh, it's Is it uh, one of those? It's um, not lists? listed, but the occurrence of a glioblastoma before the spread of Agent Orange was very low. It was mostly an old person's disease. And you didn't get it till you were 85 or up. And generally, you had a history of it. Once the Vietnam War started, the occurrence of glioblastoma just skyrocketed. Interesting, because my brother, that was a similar situation. Uh, he uh, passed away, uh, was murdered, I call it. I'm not allowed to say that because it makes you liable. I had it in my Oh, really? Earlier. I didn't know that. Okay. Well, yeah. okay. He was killed yeah, by Agent thing. Orange. Um, he had uh, a very rare female disease. Oh, yes. Scleroderma. Mm -hmm. Except even the doctor said that it was a, a very rare scleroderma. There are, I guess, two or three levels of scleroderma, which is the hardening of your skin, uh, the, the collagen just over and over produces. Right. So on his final um, certificate, uh, he died from uh, hardening of the arteries. Which he shouldn't have been at his age. Not at his 35 well, years of age. And the thing that was bizarre was he lost all of his hair. Mm. And he got to the point six months before he passed away and he shriveled up. He was uh, six uh, foot uh, two, 210, 15 pounds at his, at his really strong points in the CID. But then by the time he passed away, which my mother wouldn't even go in, in and look when we flew to Germany to see him, and he was buried in Germany. We left him there with, uh, with his wife and children. Um, uh, he was five foot 10, 168 pounds, with no hair on his body anywhere. And the last six months, he had to wear splints on his hands because if he went to button or pick up the knuckles would crack and start bleeding and like i said just luckily he had a, a wonderful wife who happened to be a nurse that mm -hmm. was just an angel and a half i can explain why there's such a variation in uh different uh, diseases cancers and as your brother uh the construction, chemical construction, I have a science background, the chemical construction of Agent Orange and all the other toxins uh, carries a positive negative charge, almost like a magnet does. And so does water. Water has two hydrogen, one oxygen. So this toxin, just like a magnet, snaps onto water. So it travels everywhere. It gets delivered with the water everywhere through the body. So you'll have people with kidney problems. You'll have people like your brother had problems. You'll have people with eye problems. You'll have people with cancers mm -hmm. throughout their body. And so they say, well, what disease is caused by it? Well, it's hard to pinpoint one. It's so many. And this is why, because this toxin, which didn't have to be, they didn't have to kill those plants. Did you know that in the, in the island of Guam, they didn't have one lawnmower? And they were spraying with Agent Orange in there before the war started. 
and after the war started. Yeah, I also heard that before the war started that there were certain farm areas in the United States oh, yes. that were using these chemicals. We still are, Kenny. We still are. Our chemical companies are still. People, when you put Roundup on your lawn, congratulations, you have just put Agent Orange on the lawn. And you think, well, so what? Well, then it goes into your groundwater. Then it goes out and it goes into your drinking water. When we had the chemical spill off the coast of uh, the Gulf Coast, remember the oil spill? And they tested the globs of oil. Guess what they found in it, folks? Agent Orange. Agent Orange. When we had uh, the, the red tide in California and they tested for that, guess what we found in that water? Same, same. It has a tremendous lifespan. Chemicals have a half-life where they deteriorate and go down. And this particular toxin, and I hate to call it Agent Orange, but few folks know it by Agent Orange, has a, a long, long, long lifespan. It breaks down very slowly and is with us forever. So, guys, before you kill your weeds with that, pull them. And I have a natural remedy for it if I can uh, do that for you sometime. Okay, back to Bud now. He's is in the hospital and uh, a VA hospital. Uh, when he collapsed, he was in the San Diego Naval Hospital, and uh, he he collapsed that day. And I remember that going in, and it was terrible because I had my I just made a pink and white gingham maternity dress, and I was so proud of the fact that we were going to have a baby. Baby girl. Yes, his girl, his doll, his doll. And I remember just being dazed when they told me my husband was going to die. And I took a walk, and my legs started getting weak. And I found this dumpster. It was the only place to sit down. So I sat on this dumpster in my pink and white gingham dress. The whole back of it was all full of dirt and grime. And, And you know what? I didn't even care. Because the one man I wanted to talk to was passed out on the bed in the hospital. Now, this was the first time he collapsed, and then they had already diagnosed him. By the time, well, it took me time, Kenny, to get there. I had no car. My husband took the car to work. I had to find somebody to drive me, somebody to take care of my two little boys. And it took me a while to get there. So they had already done uh, a CAT scan. Mm -hmm. And when I walked in, uh, neurosurgeon, neurologist from the base and my husband were already sitting there discussing the results of his testing and I had to find someone to get me there because Bud was going back out to sea so why buy another car we just had to tough it out a couple more weeks and then you know why have two cars we didn't need it so he had orders to go back out before he collapsed yes yes he was going to be a lieutenant in charge of the uh, weapons department and my memory's very good, but I can't remember the ship's name. I think it was the U.S. Tawana, because we went to uh, the christening of the ship, which was very rough for my husband because he knew he wasn't going on it. Whoa. And uh, we also went to a party where, when you have the cancer, have cancer in your family, it's almost, if you remember the movie, The Scarlet Letter, when you have cancer in your family, you wear the big C on your chest. And you're avoided like you have the plague. It's a very tough position to be in. So uh, we 
went through the radiation. Nobody bothered with us for nine weeks for radiation. Not the Navy, not anybody. And then we went for the results, and all of a sudden the Navy was very interested in us. Get us out of here. Move us out. Get us out. And we did have a wonderful uh, chief who took care of us, and he went way beyond the call. But they were ready to move us. Get us out. Get us done. Get them out of the service. My husband was no longer valuable to the Navy, so get rid of him. Wow. It's an amazing story here. Living a a life that you have with a a veteran, with a military man who never even became a veteran because he he was still active when... Uh, No, he he became a 100% disabled veteran. Oh, he did? Eventually, yeah. And that's, you know, I don't know if you have time to go into that or not. We'll be back in a moment. Okay. Go into that okay. after this message. Roll call. We'll be right back after these messages. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Broadcast Network for over 19 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution has been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. You're listening to Roll Call. Here's your host, Kenny DeCant. All I do is a double up the hill. All right, I've heard that a couple times tonight, and I'm getting tired of it. But anyway, uh, Linda, let's let's finalize in the last 15 minutes of how it all then went on for you and your life. Well, uh, my husband died. And so there's a lot of story in there that you can read about in the book. But I went on a quest. When somebody gives you a death certificate, you look at it and you say, okay, he was 85. He died of a heart attack. You can accept that. But I couldn't accept. I wanted to know why my husband died. So every two or three months, I would write. I had a whole file with these things. Most of the time, they were never answered. I would write the government. I'd write the Navy. I'd, I'd write anybody that would listen to me. And if I did get them back, I would get this letter. It would say, thank you very much for your husband's service. The Navy appreciates service. 
If there's anything else we can do for you, please write. But what they never did, never did, was answer my question. And I always felt they're lying to me. So I kept looking, and it was really tough. Of course, I had three little kids, so I couldn't do it while they were little very much, but I was always looking. Yeah. So uh, then the Internet came along. Mm-hmm. And I all of a sudden discovered I'm not alone in this. I am not alone. I am not the only widow, nor is, was my husband the only one in the situation. So I kept looking and looking. I wanted to know. And initially I thought Bud died of radiation poisoning because the USS Long Beach is a radioactive cruiser. And I thought that was what he died of. So one day I'm sitting out on my porch, my lanai in Florida, as we call it, and I had the folder that Bud kept. Bud kept a folder of boats long before I met him. And the first boat picture was his single then, fast cigarette-type speedboat. Then he had the family boat. And then he had, uh, you know, then he says, doll, look at this. This is what we're going to do when I retire. We're going to move to the Gulf Coast of Florida. I mean, he had a long way to go. He's telling me, we're going to move to the Gulf Coast of Florida, and we're going to buy a boat, and we're going to go out in the water, and I'll catch your fish, because Bud knew I didn't eat meat, so he was going to catch me fresh fish. So I'm looking at the folder, and then I did my routine search of all the military groups, and I thank you all the military groups out there that I belong to. And I went to uh, one of the sites, and somebody says, go to Blue Water Navy. So I did. I went to Blue Water Navy, and there was a message for me. And the sailors said, uh, come come to this conference. It's on February 2nd, 2020 in Tampa, Florida, which was fairly close for me. So I signed up. And the whole way going there, I thought this is going to be another wild goose chase because I traveled before to find out what happened to my husband. And they always ended up, nobody really cares about a widow. You were given your flag, told to go home and shut up. So I went to this, and I almost left. And if it weren't for a lady who I later learned, her name was Susie Bellinger. She was the founder of Blue Water Navy. I probably would have gone home. So I sat there feeling very uncomfortable. And the first person up was Commander Wells. Commander Wells is retired Navy, and he is also the, he's the founder of National Veterans Aracy. And these are the folks that get the bills passed. They're the ones that get our benefits for our veterans and still are. They're an all-volunteer unit, and most of them are Agent Orange victims. And Commander Wells is also a lawyer, so I'm listening to him. He went step by step by step by step explaining how these sailors were affected by Agent Orange. And I could just feel my blood started to chill. I was, I'm not in the habit of making my teeth chatter, but I couldn't, I couldn't help it. And he went through, and then the light went on. My husband was poisoned. Even though he was on the ship and they lied to us, he was poisoned by this toxin, which everyone knows is Agent Orange. He ate, drank, slept in linens, washed in Agent Orange, 
He washed the deck in Asia with water. Everything he did was with Agent Orange. The next speaker up was from the Agent Orange survivors. I say this Agent Orange survivors of Guam, Brian Moyer. Brian Moyer is a large strapping Marine. He got up there and he was so powerful. He almost frightened me. If I said the wrong thing, I'd have to do some push-ups. He had pictures. And this is what, oh man, I still remember those pictures. There was a picture. In Guam, there's two reservoirs. That's where you take, where water is drawn from. And it was raining. And every every plant around this reservoir was dead. And it wasn't dead the way your tree dies or way whatever. It was a gooey, globby mess on the ground. And they sprayed this crap right up next to where our sailors were taking in fresh water. They stored this stuff in Guam in containers that often leaked. They didn't cut grass. They sprayed Agent Orange long before the war started and long afterwards. They were still using that as a way to kill. Because we're in a tropical jungle. So I left this conference because in the afternoon, uh, I have my benefits because Bud got sick while he was still in the service. In the afternoon, they provide free lawyers to help people uh, set up their paperwork because people are waiting. The war was over in 75. We have veterans, Vietnam veterans, that still have not received one plum nickel of I benefits. Quite a few buddies of mine. Oh, I know, and I'm tired of it. That's why we've got VDAC happening now on our yeah. end. Anyway. But anyway, so they were having that, so I went out to the car, and I sat there so stunned. I, I was dysfunctional. And so I just sat there watching the traffic for a while, and then I just, well, I got to go somewhere. So I just drove around Tampa, not really knowing. I didn't even know how to set my GPS to get home. So finally, I, I was getting hungry, and I thought, well, I got to get home. So I set my GPS, and I had to go down across the sky bridge, which time I almost had an accident. And I pulled off to the rest area and just stared at the water. And all I kept thinking, this is so beautiful, so pure, so beautiful. Did the waters like this in Vietnam look so pure and beautiful before and even after they were sprayed? What in the world did we do for our troops and the people of Vietnam? And I just stared. I must have been there for an hour just looking at the water. I couldn't move. So finally I thought, well, you can't live on the bridge. So I packed off and somehow I made it home. I got home and of course my dear brother was there for me. He was always there for me. And we went out to dinner and afterwards I went into my bedroom on a Saturday night and all kinds of emotions were going through my mind. I didn't leave my bedroom till Tuesday morning. During that time I didn't take a shower. I ate whatever I could out of the refrigerator, threw the dirty dishes in the sink. And that's not me. I was a military wife. Boom, you put everything away and whatever. No shower, same pajamas. And 
I was just miserable. You were depressed. And so finally the last emotion I had was anger. Because my husband should be there with me. My husband should be there with me. So I wrote a little... My book originally was called Fading Mirror. It was written for my kids. It was Fading Mirror because my husband's... uh, Memories of my husband were fading for my children. So it was already written. It was with my editor, my editor Terry. And so I wrote a little journal piece about my anger about this day, describing my anger. And I sent it to my editor. And Terry says, the book's coming back to you, Linda. Hmm. And that's when I went to work. And, of course, we went into the pandemic. Uh, So I had plenty of time to do it, and it was a lot of hard work. But it's really a good book. It's endorsed by the uh, National Veterans Advocacy and also the uh, survivors, Agent Orange Survivors of Guam. It's now available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. It has some really phenomenal ratings. I have people call me, I read your book, and I laughed, I cried, and I think probably, and I have it on my uh, back of my bookmark, one of my readers said, To read Tainted Seas, my sailor's story, one must have a carton of tissues for tears of sadness and clean underwear after pissing their pants in laughter. (laughs) Now, if that doesn't sum up Tainted Seas, because you will cry, you will laugh, and uh, it's a sweet story. It's a a sweet, real story, and that's what's the most important thing. And... I'm so happy that you were able to be here. It's been a different kind of a show tonight because I've had all kinds of veterans on. But as you know, and when I ask you what role did you play in your call to duty, the biggest role a lot of times besides or for the military person is that spouse, that, oh, yeah. that loved one, those children, those parents, or those siblings that help to support uh everything that that person is going through. It's, it's, it's amazing um, seeing so many of my friends today that, uh, I mean, even my buddy I joined the Army with, uh, he's 100% because he was stationed in a city that housed oh, yes. the yeah. uh, Orange and was one of the first areas they were spraying and stuff. And I, he's had three open-heart surgeries already. And, I mean, he's an amazing guy that he continues to recover. I know. Uh, but... Uh, Mentally, I don't think you ever really recover. There's always no, those don't. those days, those times of depression, sadness. And, and, and uh, writing this book essentially tore off a scab. And I want to tell you one of my pet peeves. I have never missed a, vet, a Memorial or Veterans Day event except in 2020. But never our families and wives. Good. And I wouldn't have been here today with you had it not been for our veterans parade where I got to meet the great little Sandra Laflamme. I shouldn't say so little because I think she's taller than me. Well, most women are taller than me, I think, too. Anyway, thanks for being here with us tonight. I, I hope this call of duty of someone who supports the veteran world, supported the military husband, supported the way of life of so many people now that are reading this book and are being touched by it as well. And also the military um, veterans advocacy group. I hope we can tie in our VDAC with them and we'll all be together. 
Very best. I'm signing off from the Veterans Broadcast Network. Don't forget to look at the National Institute for Veterans. Farewell till next week. I've got a special show with a special POW. Thanks for listening. Join us every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central. On the Veterans Broadcast Network, this is Roll Call. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Broadcast Network for over 19 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution has been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com.